0: Three, two, one, playback please, press bar, mark visual playback, appropriate replies, playback cylinders, visualization of the electronic program live, watching, watching. Watching Watching
1: Watching Watching Watching
0: Watch Hey everybody. I'm uh or welcome to Living in the New Renaissance uh or- yeah, living in the new renaissance. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm Darren, and I'm on today with Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. Uh, Dustin and I have been trying to uh, touch base here for about a week, week and a half, um, with various technical issues happening, and I'm mm-hmm. glad to finally be able to get him on. Um, and Dustin Miller actually goes and runs a uh, website as well. Do you want to just introduce yourself, Del- Dustin, and uh, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah sure
1: so poly innovator is my personal brand or online reputation of sorts i created it as a way to be a foundation for any career that i wanted to pursue in life so poly is the website that i run and i'm a content creator so i make videos blog posts and polycasts the audio form and i found that being able to teach people things whether it's self-development innovation or education has been kind of a main focus lately is something I'm naturally good at. I've always been a teacher, such as swimming or personal training, and just being able to express my teaching teachiness, I guess you could say, is something that makes me really happy.
0: And one of the main requirements, of course, for being a teacher is being incredibly patient, which he has been. <laughs> it's actually taken us approximately half an hour to get connected up here with bandwidth issues at my end and other things happening. But... um one of the things that I was uh, that I was looking at when I initially uh, um, when Dustin had agreed to to come on was I was looking a little bit here at some of the previous podcasts he had as well, but he also mentioned to himself that he's a a polymath and that he's a techno innovator and I'd like to just wonder if he, I could get a good example um, of what each of those definitions would be and and yeah. that would be a good place to start I think. One thing
1: I will say is that I would probably consider myself more of an aspiring polymath, although compared to most people, I'm probably much more polymathic, not to sound those sorts of like that. Essentially, a polymath means someone who is highly skilled in many different areas and or learning many different areas. However, I see it more as kind of like a spectrum. So you have someone who's the jack-of-all-trades, a generalist, or even a multi light, as some people would say. All those terms you don't need to worry about. All they basically mean is someone who's polymathic and wants to do many different things, or has done many different things. And the reason why I don't consider myself a polymath just yet is that it usually takes an expert level. Like Leonardo da Vinci was an expert painter, expert... Uh, He was an expert in anatomy and physics and all kinds of stuff. I'm not an expert in more than one or two areas, and so I want to make sure that I don't get too ahead of myself while I'm still developing my journey. And that's what PolyInnovator is about, is the journey of becoming a polymath of innovation. So the techno-innovator aspect, or a poly-innovator in this way, is one thing I've been working on is innovating education. So I've been spending my time pursuing a modular do-it-yourself type of degree that I created, and I've been trying to formulate into a framework that other people can apply for their own education pursuits.
0: And that was actually one of the things that quite interested me in in, uh, talking to you as well, is uh, the the premise of the podcast that I've, I've mentioned in the past to other people is that living in the new renaissance literally I feel like we're going through a resurgence and have been for 50 some odd years 60 years where we're going through a a new renaissance where we're revisiting like history frequently does some of the past events where we have innovations in in all kinds of things Um, the arts in media which you know could be sculpture could be um, painting and all of this is happening now in a more digital format and an accelerated format and I see you as somebody who's very much a, an example of a of a uh, polymathist as uh, Da Vinci was. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, not a problem. It's uh, I would
1: it's, actually.
0: Sorry. Oh,
1: sorry. I, I would actually argue that we haven't necessarily been in the Renaissance for fifty years, but more like fifteen years. I would say that it's becoming it's coming around because of the Internet and the Internet's been around for 50 years but I don't think it really made a difference until it really became public in the late 90s and in, in the mid-2000s is when social media became more of a popular thing so more and more people got on the Internet. Now kids are on the Internet who are like 4 years old and so I think it's become much more of a prominent thing now and that's why it's become such a surgence.
0: Uh Actually, it's one of the reasons why I actually used the, the 50-year... Definition is because way back when in the 80s, uh, I first got my hands on an Apple 2 Plus computer, and there was uh, there was uh, computer magazines, and we had a bunch of uh, disks that you could actually get through the uh, through the clubs, and the rest of it. But uh, bulletin board systems were the probably the biggest precursor for the internet, and actually, I was a, a node on FidoNet way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest innovations was when FidoNet started pulling um, Usenet and newsrooms art and articles. And then eventually that turned into actually porting over just general internet rooms and chat rooms. Mm-hmm. So there's, again, just because I was right in down on in that initial basis of it, we're looking 86, 87, when bulletin boards really started kicking off in, in the Vancouver area where I was at the time. And then at that point, probably about '90, we started seeing some of the Usenet uh, start to come into that, and it was just—it was a, a huge expansion to the FidoNet ecosystem that they had at that point, and and that was the beginning of, as far as I saw, really the expansion of into almost a um, a uh, level, level one Kardashev mm-hmm. communication system that we we're actually now in and have been for, uh, as you said, since the '90s.
1: Yeah, for sure. And something I I don't generally talk about very much, but considering it's probably a perfect fit for your show, is that one of my ultimate goals, or my ultimate goal, I guess you could say, is to help the world become a Type 1 civilization.
0: Perfect. That's something I was going to segue into. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my questions here, my second one, just to add, underneath the one that I just asked you, was Kardashev Scale Type 1. I was going to ask you if you knew what it was. And if you think that we'll actually make it to reach the uh, the level one, because one of the things that I was hearing from Michi Kaku is that he's suggesting within a hundred years we will potentially reach a level one civilization, and I was just kind of curious as to what you thought.
1: I think he's a little too timid about it, honestly. And he's a genius, and I i, I holi- so, hol holistically respect him. But I think that it's... I'm also optimistic in the fact that I think that we could accomplish a lot more than we realize. So just a little tangent kind of in a good example in the way. I was teaching a personal training client today. And the thing is, when it comes to physical exercise, you have to be able to push yourself past your limits. Not just physically, but mentally as well. And one thing I tried to convince him to do is do 40 pull-ups without stopping. And I did that with push-ups and a different kind of pull-up as well. He did all three. And what's interesting is that he... Never did more than like fifteen or twenty. He left. didn't do, he didn't do more than fifteen or twenty in a row. But I mm-hmm. made him do forty. With he took like a few second breaks in between. But the point being is that he kept going without stopping for any longer than like ten seconds, and he managed to accomplish that, even though he kept telling me in the beginning he couldn't. So I think Kaku is kind of the same way. Where he's, he's saying that we can't do it in this short time span but if we can make a change in the next 15-20 years on how we approach energy uh, sustainability and on top of that smart city developments, we can uh, dramatically increase the viability of do happening sooner
0: I'd actually agree with you and, and uh, when you're mentioning the, the fact that you're doing the uh, personal training it actually reminded me of how my wife uh, follows Cole Robinson and uh, the, the uh, snake uh, diet as well and we actually met him when he was in Edmonton here so it was always been a thing of somebody goes and says well I can't do something it's like well what do you have to lose right if you right. try it and you fall down okay well you fall down and right. are you a better person or a worse person for even trying in the first place right? right so the one thing that I always thought would be kind of essential for us reaching the uh, the level one for the Kardashev scale was literally We need to get a a sustainable and a clean source of energy, and if we have that, and uh, I don't think that lithium, you know, lithium-ion batteries or the lithium battery system itself would be a good basis for that. I'm more thinking carbon nanotubes when we actually get to that point, because you can store power in those. Yeah, exactly, and it's a cleaner source of power entirely.
1: Well, and that's. I'm thinking more in the idea of generation. because storage is very important. And lithium is making some headway, but yeah, definitely nanotubes would be much better. But just for example, I, I was taught something recently. I was talking to Takatoshi Shibayama, who is a blockchain and finance expert over in Singapore. And Singapore is a place where I've always really wanted to move to, actually, because it's so much more advanced than where I'm living in the U.S. It just seems something that would be a much more... Better place to be in, and the reason why I bring it up is that it 's viewed as a place that's very like high tech and modern, and yet they have no recycling endeavors at all. Everybody just throws everything away and they only produce about seventy percent of their own energy. It used to be one hundred percent that they were taking from Malaysia now it 's only thirty percent are taken from Malaysia and If you look around, there's no solar panels I, I doubt they have any hydro uh, electricity plants. All their electricity is coming from non-renewable resources, so to speak. And it's like, why would a modern city like that not be taking advantage of sustainability like the solar panels, for example, or hydropower or wind power? I think they have a little bit of wind power generators, but not much. And it's it's something that like a city like that is not doing it, let's, let alone your city or my city. Yeah, I don't I... actually...
0: Go ahead. Sorry.
1: My, was, no, you're good. I I had a thought. My city actually has solar panels in the in the middle of the city, no less. Like I was, I used to live around the corner from a solar field, and I'm in I'm in town. It's crazy.
0: See, I would have, would have thought that uh, in the Philippines, especially that uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the the, uh, the setups that they have in just off the coast of uh, England, but they have uh, tidal wave generators that literally just. Mm-hmm flap up and down and that drives a drives a turbine and produces power exactly. so you would think, think that it would be perfect
1: yeah no sorry to interrupt there I think we have plenty of things we can do like hydropower wind power solar power that's not as expensive as people realize as people think it is. I mean if they realize how cheap it is in comparison it's going to be much more viable and we start doing that and start changing the way our cities are formulated and built such as smart cities it's going to make a significant difference in our progress towards type form
0: and realistically, if we looking at potentially a changing climate anyway, it makes more sense to actually start looking towards, let's redesign cities, let's make them more, uh, we need to pull them back, let's say, a little bit from floodplains because we're going to have more flooding in the future. And if we're going to yeah. do that, let's redevelop our city and, and make it a little bit more self-sustainable. Because uh, what surprised me when I started looking into the the power generation grid was literally the fact that when uh, I'm probably about 20 miles north of a, a big coal uh, power generation plant up here, and they just dump it into the grid. And then at that point, mm. it's everybody buys a, a share of the grid to resell at, from a wholesale level to a retail level. So when somebody's going and sending you um, a bill and saying, okay, well, there's distribution charges... They're actually dumping the power directly into the grid. There's no actual distribution because it's already the, ge- yeah. the general pool. So it's I- hey. <laughs> well,
1: and there's a whole new thing going on. I don't know if you know much about the digital electricity kind of movement, but there's a lot of power banks that people could have in their own house. Like I don't remember the exact company off top of my head. It's really fascinating though. They built a it's not a generator. It's a kind of like the house generator in a way. Where if you were to look at which outlets are taking what amount of electricity and whatnot right now the entire apartment that i'm living in is sending the same amount of electricity super powerful strong surges into every outlet every outlet's taking that energy and if you have anything plugged into it it's still going into that product even if your item is turned off it's still being wasted as heat versus these digital systems where if you have that system in place in your house, it'll choose how much electricity it sends to that particular node or wall outlets, and only by knowing what devices are connected to it, it'll choose how much electricity needs to be sent. If you have an Xbox and TV, it's going to send just the right amount of electricity versus an overpowered shot. It's like trying to water your garden with a power hose from a fire truck. It's, it's okay. way too much, and it's going to destroy more than it needs. And so it's just it's interesting how with things changes like that, not only will you save electricity, and if you combine that with solar panels on your house, you may end up producing tr- electricity that you can sell back to the grid, and democratize
0: energy production. And that's actually something that's uh, is kind of funny because I spend part of my time in a uh, in a uh, RV out here, and it has a 12 volt system for lighting and for producing uh, just a low voltage system that goes around DC. And then at that point, it has the 120-volt the system that goes for running your outlets and the rest of it. But the majority of the power that's produced and actually runs through, the, uh, through an RV is literally a 12-volt system. So all of your lights and everything else, you're literally using a tenth of the power. And if you're running an LED light on those as well, which you can get, a 12-volt LED, yeah. then at that point, you're going down to a 4-watt bulb. And why a 12-volt system for lighting doesn't exist in every house, I honestly don't know. It's just so much more efficient, and the bulbs last 100 times longer than a standard bulb.
1: Well, and this is one reason why I built Poly Innovator because there's a way of approaching things, and at this particular point, it's an education front. People need to learn more about it, and you and I are more interested in it and have more reason to do it. But we could be communicators through our, your podcast and my polycast and my... Uh, YouTube videos as well to teach people why it's important and what to do about it.
0: And it's actually fairly simple even to start. Like, literally, I went through my house and I picked up a, a product by uh, Jeff Bezos' company. And this is just a little plug into the wall, a thing called a Flex. And the Flex just draws power and it has the she-who-not-be-named installed on it. I'm trying to use these words just simply so I don't trigger yeah. anybody who's listening, uh, their devices. But literally at that point, you can use that device to create scheduling, to go and uh, do reminders for yourself, alarms and the, all of that. But I use it with a uh, sunset and sunrise as an example to, to shut off uh, the external lights uh, for the house, which are all running again. That is a 12-volt system. It'll actually turn them on at night time, so if I need to take the dog for a walk, I walk outside, and lights are already on, I'm not stumbling on things. And it's just a completely... so much better system. As the motion descent, uh, detector, which you heard, um, it was actually talking in the background here, it'll shut off my lights inside the RV if it doesn't hear a... um it doesn't sense motion within 10 minutes. Again, completely... um able to be done as a schedule or what have you. And if yep. we had more home automation, I think that would be one of the best ways to start reducing power usage. And rather than building uh, crazy numbers of uh, nuclear power generation units, uh, you know, even potentially risking population centers, just simply going and making far more efficient use I think would help us reach yeah. like the Kardashev scale one.
1: Well, that's where smart cities come in, and even smart homes as well, there's a company down in Texas called Casita, where they're building smart, t- tiny homes. And I've been fascinated, like like an RV, I guess you could say, but with these tiny home concepts where they're basically built on a trailer and you have, what, 24 by 6 feet trailers that you're living in, and has every single room that you need for it. And with that tiny space, you're much more efficient with everything you're using. On top of that, since it's technically cheaper than buying a bigger, and buying and maintaining a bigger house, you could fill it up with smart technology much more efficiently and cheaply than you would by like filling a medium to large size house.
0: Yeah we were looking at that too at one point. I think it's smart a tiny house is anything under two hundred and fifty six square feet. Yeah. It's just
1: There's it's some rid- big tiny houses that's <laughs> <Yeah>. well
0: <laughs> of course crazy. there is. Yeah, everybody's like, well, you know I'm not quite ready to commit to this, but I really want to, so <laughs> well,
1: and I really want to live in one. I think that'd
0: be really cool. Yeah, there. I've seen a couple of them, and they. It's kind of neat. It's almost like living in a playhouse in some ways, but you're. It's more like an adult playhouse. So you walk in and yeah. you've got your bathroom. Here's your stove. You go up this ladder. Here's your your nook for sleeping. It's just. It's kind of crazy because in 13 feet, or in some cases of living area, you've got so much put into it, and the yeah. price as well is. If you're spending, well, I, I was going to use an example, but this area it's underpriced compared to most places. But if you're spending, let's say four hundred fifty thousand to get a mortgage, and you're locked in for a twenty-year, thirty-year mortgage, you can get a tiny house. In some cases for as cheap as maybe twenty-five to thirty-five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly. just far more efficient. It's in general, it's just. I agree with you entirely. It's just a matter of education and people getting out there and realizing, you know, you can actually own your own own home and you can go and reduce the amount of costs. And with a tiny home as well, if you went solar running through a power inverter system like, let's say, Mm -hmm. 7,500 watt, you could run clothes dryers, everything you would do in the city off this little tiny home and literally be... Yeah. Just energy efficient. And, yeah, cut your bills massively. But... That's my hope. Actually, is I'm I would agree with you. I think it's just a matter of education, though. If we had everybody realizing, okay, well, electric cars are great. Um, what about a pure electric system as well? Let's get rid of the internal combustion engine. You know, I'm sorry. You, you know, your 1967 Camaro. Well, it's great and all, but why have you ever considered if you go and you pull the engine out of that and a transmission out of that, and you hooked up a forklift engine? you would get, like, over a 1,000 horsepower with immediate torque without the play that you have with an internal combustion engine. It's far more efficient. Yeah. And if you had people thinking like that, it'd be, oh, yeah, why are we holding on to this, these gas cars anymore? So. <laughs> For but, sure. Okay, so that answers my question, which is, yes, we will definitely make it. You, you, mm-hmm. you feel the same way I do, I think. Yeah. So the next question I was kind of curious about was, how did you get from being a physical trainer to a polymath? Like, what what was your road to get there? And by polymath, I mean, in this case, being the poly innovator.
1: Yeah, well, they technically are okay. mutually exclusive in a way, because it's it's more about being... I, I describe myself as an omni-channel content creator. I think that's the best way to explain it. Someone who has a presence on every platform. That's what Omnichannel means is just being everywhere. Like, if you look at Coke as a company, for example, and you find some obscure social platform, you're going to find Coke, uh, Coca-Cola, I mean, on that platform. And I wanted to be a content creator like that, who is everywhere. If you you look at any social media, including blockchain platforms as well, you're going to find Poly Innovator. And so one thing I try to accomplished with that is to be able to find ways to teach people on new and innovative types of content essentially and so my road of development actually started before poly innovator when i was growing up i'd always been more of a businessman at heart so when i was like 11 no eight or nine actually i uh, told my family i wanted office supplies for my birthday because i wanted to be an off- a businessman And then when I got older, I'd say CEO, and then as a teenager, I often said, CEO of an international company driven to innovate technology and ideology. And that little pitch right there evolved into what I call, uh, something I worked on called the United Living Construct, which is meant to be kind of like a uh, hub of innovation and a smart city eventually, but for the most part, an online hub of people coming together and creating more innovative ideas to create smart cities and get the world towards a type 1 civilization. That was the goal of it. But I realized as I was building it, I needed to educate people, which means I needed to make content. In order to make money, I needed to make enough content to gain traffic. And I learned a lot about marketing and content creation, blogging, podcasting, all back in 2011. But It wasn't, it was too early and I wasn't good enough yet. I was a teenager. I didn't know enough. So I decided, okay, let's pivot and work more towards a personal brand. There needs to be a face for the ULC and I wasn't good enough to be that yet. So I could be a face of my own personal, like, uh, influence I guess you could say and build myself up with education and teaching myself pursuing self development and that's what got me into building Poly Innovator because I started documenting my process of the modular degree the courses I was taking and what my goals were and how I wanted to do it
0: yeah that was going to be one of the questions I had as well because I had seen that you were involved with something called ULC and the ULC Ian and I was going to ask oh, whether yeah. not Poly, Poly Innovator was a, a evolution of that idea
1: where did you see that? Did Just see going, yeah,
0: going back to the, the earlier podcast. Yeah. I had a chance to well, scroll through.
1: Yes, nice, that's perfect. You know, what's funny is that after I, I I made the ULC Tech Podcast for the United Living Construct, and I actually don't like Apple products, and so I actually actively avoid the word podcast on my show. So I use polycast as an alternative to that word. It's kind of funny. But – um. Yeah, when I was building the ULC content, I had this idea of different kinds of innovators. So it's a hub of innovation, but not everyone's going to do the same thing. So you had these uniters, leaders, and creators. The uniters were the people who were charismatic and bring people together and rally people, hype man, if you will. And then you had leaders who were more operational. I guess you could say like a president or something like that, people who ran things. And then the creators are the ones who are able to express their innovative urges and to work on those things that causes innovations to happen. And because you need all three to really have that whole system working like a well-oiled machine. And then I realized there's going to be people who are all three, and we don't want to stifle them. Over the past 100 years, thanks to Henry Ford, actually, who's idolized, he created the 9-to-5 work system and even helped create the education system that the U.S. uses. And a lot of other countries actually kind of copied after in a way. But made better, actually, an ironic point. But um, this system has been built for specialists, for people who are good at one thing. But it's human nature, so there's a giant subset of the population who are polymathic, who do a lot of different things and want to do many different things, and have the potential to do so as well. That's why they're called multipotentialites. And that concept evolved into the polyosian someone who is a uniter, leader, and creator. That polyosian was the original poly innovator in a way, and then I evolved that word to be a little bit more palatable for people to understand? Because polyosian, you said it right. Most people don't, so it's this <laughs> is one of those things. It was kind of like a branding thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually do know a couple. Um, one person in particular comes to mind, right off the top of my head, and it's it's actually entertaining because she'll go and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to." Um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar. So at that point, it's like, well, then she will say, you should learn how to play the guitar. And I will say, well, oh. you know, one of these days maybe, and then she'll go and pick it up. And she uh, said that the, the background that she has was going through Montessori as mm-hmm. a kid. So literally, the whole idea with that schooling at the very beginning was completely just a entirely different experience for her. So she's able to go and take... Um, a skill and actually boil it down to its fundamentals and transfer that oh, skill yeah. through skill transference into the new setup. So she started off with music uh, with concert flute initially and then at that point translated that into djembe and djembe. And then from that basis, she got a little bit into piano and using the piano she got into uh, baritone ukulele and from ukulele she's now playing a, a bazoki an Irish bazooki. so literally it's the whole skill transference it's, it's just figuring out in her case what the particular courting is and using that rhythm and everything else she picked up from an initially African rhythm to translate it into a stringed instrument and then into something that uh, was completely foreign to everything that she's ever started taught uh, sorry was taught well.
1: And that's actually quite a lot of the influence behind the modular degree. And I actually created two kind of subsets of that. There's the modular degree, which is the actionable thing for, like, you and I. If you wanted to pivot careers or I wanted to start my career, whatever stage we are in life, we needed something that could be more for the polymaths, but also for someone who wanted to teach themselves something. I wanted to work in smart city development, and there was no degrees, especially at the time, for that. So I created my own. And I think that's just going to be other... Idealized careers, such as someone who wants to be a type 1 civilization innovator, someone to help that happen, there's no jobs or career sets passed for that. you have to make your own and I wanted this module degree to be a tool that people can use to do that. but on top of that, I started realizing that the way we approach education is inherently flawed and based on very quickly lost retention. so you retain it for a test and then you lose it. Whereas if you were to focus on space repetition and be able to take that learning and spread it out over time, it's a much more effective process of concreting that information. And like you said, too, about your friends, being able to transfer the knowledge from one area to another is a very strong polymathic trait. And we don't don't endorse that in school. We try to make you learn from the ground up no matter what you're doing. And it's fascinating, too, that you mentioned how she was switching between all different things. I did that when I started my working. I started out as a lifeguard, then a swim instructor, then water robust instructor and pool manager, and even water boot camp instructor, arthritis, water class, and on top of that, I eventually became a personal trainer. They're all similar in nature besides maybe the lifeguard and managing, but I was able to translate the skills that I already learned into those new endeavors and find what I could do with best. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's, when a person thinks about it, realistically, you build your entire life on your skill set. You start off with like nobody starts off with being in the perfect career for themselves or the job that they want to have or even the job that they will be doing on a nine to five basis. In a lot of cases, you start off with something like paper route, and then at that point, you go and you go into something like let's say food services, and and you're slinging burgers or you're at the till. You know, would you like fries with that? You know, the whole mm-hmm. idea is it helps to give you the ability to deal with the public and to to develop those skills. And then at that point, once you have the skill set for for dealing with the public or for just handling the rest of it, by the time you're done, you could be into, let's say, communications and actually be in in a high-level management role. And you started off as, let's say, a fry cook. Yeah. You don't see the initial connections, but literally everybody that's out there has some degree of, of polymathy in their background without actually realizing yeah. it.
1: So that's something I say a lot of. You might have even heard me say it on the polycast because it's something that I realize that when someone's like 80 or 90 years old, they've often worked at least four careers, even if they've worked for the same company, moving positions from that entry level to mid-level to even executive level. Those are all different careers within that company. And so you're actually learning completely different skill sets and transferring the knowledge you have from the last one to the new one. But you become polymathic by the end of your life anyways. It's almost a human trait in nature, but I do think that there's a good home for specialists as well. It's kind of a duality in a way. You need to have both.
0: Exactly. So that branches next, or kind of naturally into the next question I've, I kind of had written down here for you. So what do you think that the biggest barrier to learning is that you've found personally?
1: Learning how to learn. So a lot of people don't know how to absorb knowledge and retain it. I don't even retain everything I learn all the time but I think I have a stronger memory than most and so I'm able to for example today when I donated blood they try to make me read the pamphlet about all the information about COVID and then the the rules they have and whatnot. and I've already been doing there a couple times so I already knew everything in that book they're like oh it's changed they added like one page it's slightly different but I, I had remembered most of it was already in there because I had sped through it and sped read it but at a deep level. I can speed read, but with retention. I can listen to audio or videos at a higher speed with retention. And it took, it took a couple of years to do that well. And I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to use space repetition and interleaving, which is a whole other concept, effectively in order to absorb knowledge. And I think that's a real issue a lot of people have. Yeah, you
0: chopped out just a little bit, but... It-
1: That was a good point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You chopped out at the end there too. Oh wow. Wow. it doesn't happen.
0: Well, I think for the most part, actually, it's it's been fairly stable so far. So I'm counting the blessings on that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the one thing I'm not going to take too much more of your time, just because we've been trying mm-hmm. to do this for so long. But the one thing I was going to mention to you as well was now I had. I've been trying to bring this up in a few podcasts. Um, I had a fantastic grade six teacher and my grade six teacher had had introduced me to science in a way that really was unusual for the the middle of the Canadian prairies at the time. And I loved the class so much and he opened my eyes so much that um, I had always had an interest in astronomy as a kid, as as an example. But when you're growing up and all your friends around you are playing with bikes and you know, the talking trucks and the rest of it, they start to steer you in a particular direction. And my grade 6 science teacher actually got me interested again in astronomy and this, the solar system as well, to the point where I still remember to this day that Mercury at the time was 16 million miles out, 33 million was the... Uh, sorry, 72 million was Venus, 93 million was... Earth, 144 million was yeah. Mars. And I remembered as well um, literally the, the whole aspect of the because of the ratio from where the Earth to the moon was, in its particular scale, I think it was a 40 to 1 size difference, but because of where the moon is placed in orbit around the Earth. The exactly and gives you the perfect eclipse and will be something that will happen for a while. And the fact that Phobos and Deimos around Mars, one is a five-mile diameter and the other is ten miles in diameter, but it wasn't until later on that I learned that literally one of them is falling towards Mars and the other is Mm -hmm. escaping Mars, as our moon is. So that for me was... Sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I've always been an astronomy buff.
0: Yeah. So for me, that was a linchpin moment. I was kind of curious as to what literally set you onto the path that you're on now.
1: There's a quote. I can't remember who it's by. Some people say uh, Thomas Jefferson. Some people say Mark Twain. But the quote goes like, I never let schoolman get in the way of my education. And I've always been someone who is scholarly. I love to learn. But I never... Like school, And I think now that I'm older, I realize it's because they're trying to make me a specialist when I'm more polymathic and having that self-awareness was very important. I think that I've always had that goal of being a businessman. So combining my goal of uh, helping the world become a type one civilization with the businessman and my overall gregarious nature, I was able to have the self-awareness to combine that into poly innovator. And so I think that just over time, when I, when I was graduating high school, I still attempted to go to college, but my grades were never good. I had a terrible ACT score, and so I couldn't get into the schools that I lived nearby. So I was like, okay, I don't really care enough to really pursue college. I'm going to pursue my own self-development. And I spent the next better half a decade pursuing my own growth and trying to work on my mind, my body, my spirit, and my emotions and understanding each of those and balancing those. And by doing so, I was able to start my self-education on top of that. I think that's what really put me on that path.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that as well because it got me thinking about um, setups like Coursera and the rest of it, that literally the college of 20 years ago is a dying animal. It's, it's all moving mm-hmm. online, and it's getting to the point where having the college degree isn't necessarily as important as having the skills necessary to do the work. Yeah, uh, we're really starting to see that. It's it, it's been slow, but it's starting to come out. in, Let's say about the last ten years.
1: Well, that's the whole point of the master's degree is to expedite that process and help people take advantage of the opportunity of the education on the internet. Not many people know how to organize YouTube playlists and courses on Coursera, EdX, FutureLearn, uh, CuriosityStream, Skillshare, Udemy, Udacity, all these different course platforms organizing them to a structure that you can follow for your own personal goals. That's really key. And that's what I've been trying to work on. Cool. Well,
0: um, i got just going to find out. If you, if you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to cut fairly soon here, but okay. i was just going to find out if there's any anything particular that uh, you wanted to just mention here uh, coming up towards the end.
1: Yeah, for sure. So a couple things I've been talking about a lot is self-development and self-education. And one other area that I've really worked on is self-improvement. And the way I see the difference between all three of those is that self-education is more of a edu- uh, foundation. Self-improvement are the habits and systems in your life that you follow on a routinely basis. And then on top of that, you have your self-development, which could be a catalyst for your growth. When you understand a three-tier kind of stepping stone process of that, you can dramatically improve your overall growth and personal development. So, I created a personal poly innovation system to try to be a way to organize all three of those into someone's ability to actually incorporate them into their lives.
0: And that's based on your website, which is the polyinnovate.place? Mm-hmm. Dot, dot space. Oh, dot space, sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had uh, initially written down place, but it's dot space. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah, I really appreciate the fact that you could come on, and you were being so patient. And it's I'm sorry it took us so long that uh, to actually connect here. And even as such, right now, just so everybody is aware of it, we're currently running off my uh, phone's hotspot, uh, hot so, hmm. which is not oh. an Apple product. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, thank you, Darren, for having me on. Though that's been great.
0: Well, anytime, Dustin. Um, I might uh, actually tap you again in the future. I'm mm-hmm. looking to do a couple of uh, couple of shows here. Uh, Dan, uh, Daria was, or, sorry, I probably just butchered his last name cause it's been over a year since I talked to him. But, uh, during polycast, uh, the podcast six, yeah, polycast. Yeah, there we go.
1: I'm getting you to say it now too.
0: <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> um, Dan is the, uh, actually he was working on the, uh, New Horizons space probe. And, mm. uh, he's, uh, actually going to be an astronaut as well. And I think he's with, uh, working on uh, Blue Origins.
1: You should connect me with them. I'd be happy to talk to them.
0: That's what I'm thinking, actually, and uh, hook us together. I'm also, There's a couple of other guys I've been trying to pull into this, too, but it's been really tough to to actually schedule them because, you know, they've That's got – Yeah, exactly. But I was thinking well, during, during COVID, we, everybody would have some time, but apparently not.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, at one point, my, like, sixth guest uh, was in meetings, all day, and then he finally got to my interview with him. I literally had to give him a break, like, hey, go to the bathroom, get some water, it's all good. Um, But, like, it's interesting, because even people during COVID were still super busy, but due to this really great opportunity right now, I think that people can take advantage of that, make a COVID resolution as some people say, and try to accomplish something new. Like, I started doing interviews because of it, even.
0: And it's so much better than putting on the (laughs) COVID-20. Yeah. Tell
1: you what.
0: It's like Netflix and uh, junk food. Yeah, there we go.
1: Are we still recording?
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's okay. Sure yeah, no worries. But, uh yeah, I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up now. So, anyways, uh so thanks for your time, and I'm just going to cut the recording, and uh let me just talk for a little if you want. Sounds good. So, what? Control. Cylinders. D. Select. Playback. Visualization. Zero. Discharge. Control. Cylinders. Containing. Visualization of the electronic program. Indication. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Two. Three. Two. One. Playback zero zero.